Hello, and welcome to Fish on Friday. It's Erdinger time. Um, all good here. It's been uh, an incredibly hecticated week. Um, you notice that I've, I've shaved. It wasn't for you. I actually shaved because on Wednesday, David Barris and Scott Mackay were here, suitably socially distanced. And we had a white screen up in the, the control room and I was filming my remote contribution uh, for Miles Scarron, who's putting together uh, an animation video. Oh, look at this. Bloody tech. Oh, go on. Come on. Oh. oh Sorry about that. You know the score. Damn tech. Rubbish. Spent this morning, it was like the, the Samsung fridge freezer. We would um, we try to get something sorted out at the weekend with an ice making machine and it was wouldn't I couldn't pull out the bucket. And um so it was like we had to switch it off. So last night was switching unloading the freezer. Take it all out to the freezer in the garage and then do all that stuff and then defrost in the fridge. And this morning you switch it back on, you expect it to just go purr, freeze, that's it. No. E22, could I find out what E22 meant on the flashing digital dial on the front of the fridge? No. Thankfully, YouTube had the answer. So, reset buttons. It's just everything is, is tech. And I keep on getting these invitations because I bought. Uh, an indoor thermostat off one of those radio controlled kind of things that you can adjust it from afar on Bluetooth and stuff. Oh man, it's like trying to get the thing paired. I was I was screaming at the moon, absolutely screaming at the moon on it. And it's like, you know, and I keep on getting invitations because I got one of these things. It's, Do you, would you like something to turn on your lights when you're away? Would you like something to turn your heating up to your desired temperature? No, I can do it all myself and I don't need any more tech in this house that could possibly go wrong. It's just, I hate it. The CD's lined up. I'm gonna play you uh, Walking on Eggshells later on. Um, like I told you last week, I got the album through with the, the running order and it's, it's fantastic. I really, I really like it. And this week I had, uh, as well as listening to the album, when it's luck, as well as listening to the album, and the stereo mixes, Avril McIntosh and Andy Bradfield sent me up the five to ones and they sounded fantastic. I've, I've never been a huge fan of five to ones. I don't listen to them on a regular basis. It's very rarely. And uh, unless, you know, there's something to do with a Warner's product or something like one of the Marillion albums or something. But um, it was great. But we, last night, my wife and I, we had to re reorganize the entire living room because I kind of felt that if Avril and Andy have put all that effort into doing the five to ones, then they can at least set up the best possible kind of area to listen. So the couch was moved forward, and you know when you move the couch after it's never been moved for years, and all the bump down there, you know, like Roman coins and all that stuff. It was um, so the couch was moved, the speakers repositioned, and we sat and listened to I think six tracks off the five to one from Veltrans, 
and I was really pleased with them. It sounds, the, the album really lends itself to the, the cinematic. I mean, Callum's done incredible mixes on the, on the stereo and Avril and Andy are doing amazing things with the five to one. So um, obviously I can't play five to one down this because it's a complete waste of time. Right? But I'll play the stereo of uh, Walker Next Shelves later. But um, yeah, it's, it's been a really busy week and I had to shave because I had the video to do, like I said, socially distance, which is the video for the promotional video for whatever that means nowadays. Um, for uh, uh, this party's over. So we originally, it was supposed to be done by, with a cast and then lockdown happened and then we had to blow through all the ideas that we had out. And Miles Scarron, bless his heart, uh, came up with the idea of doing an animated version. So I'm, I'm filmed on white screen and it's kind of taken down and, and merged in with the animation. It's not gonna be sledgehammer by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it's gonna be pretty good. I'm looking forward to it. It's a different approach completely. So uh, so that was why I had to shave. And also to do the, um, I did the, the big interview with Will Smith. Hi, Will. And um, Will Smith, who was gonna come up in the train from London to do the, the, the big interview for the, the Velschmerz Blu-ray. And uh, we had to do it remotely. So we were, we were doing Zoom or whatever it is. And um, so I was speaking to Will on the TV set. It's funny, you know, when I think back to when I was a kid, it's like, you know, talking to your mate on a TV set, you know, it's like, that was kind of pretty far out. That was pretty science fiction at that point. But yeah, so there I was on Wednesday and Will and I were gabbing on relentlessly about the album where I was. And, um, and we had a good time, but it was like, Dave's looking at his watch going like, you know, we still got to do this, still got to do this. So Dave and Scott were very patient because Will and I were talking for about two hours. And uh, even when we were going to wrap it up, it was there was still another half an hour added on. But it should be good. It addresses a lot of things. And what we're talking about as well is some of the Velschmerz issues that I've, I've kind of dealt with on the, the Fish and Friday thing. We'll probably maybe export some of that stuff across and, and kind of zap it up. But it's definitely an interview in lockdown. And, uh, but it's a bit crazy. Uh, so, I mean, this week, um, I'll, there's so much to tell you. Um, first of all, right, first of all, I have to thank, my wife was beaming radiant the other day when the doorbell went and she went out to discover uh, two crates of uh, iceberg alcohol free wine. And um, for the first time ever, like our actual, the, the little wine cooler that we've got in the kitchen is actually stacked up with bottles. And she was over the moon, right? And then today, right, today, I had 96 bottles of Erdinger. 96 of these turned up on my doorstep today, which was fantastic, right? And it was, uh, and it, it, just, it just saved me getting masked up and getting all, you know, all clean for going down Tesco's and going through the, the, the cleaning process on the way back. So I've got to thank, because. We, we found this in the box and Simona got one and she said thank you on Facebook to the people and seemingly there was two boxes and the other half of the thank you list was in the other box. But we think most of the people that are on here, right? There is one person missing out, but that's nothing to do with anything apart from um, the Beer Rock, which is where this arrived from. It's a wee company. And uh, as I said, 96 bottles of Erlinger. And I've got to say a big thanks to Kevin Williamson, right? 
And Kevin wrote me that. He says, Hi Fish, a group of fans from the Facebook group club together to get you a few beers to celebrate the 10th Fish and Friday show. 10 shows. <laughs> Hopefully you get this in time. I did. <laughs> Thank you. Simona also has a package of goodies coming. She got it. Thanks, thanks to Isis Bussons, whose idea this was. Isis, thank you very much. Right? And special thanks and big thanks to the light, as well as to Isis and Kevin, to Gary Shepherd, Christian Drusen, uh, Claude Potvin, Michael Hardy, Klaus Schultz, Neil Waterworth, John Mullen, Jesse McConnell, uh, Man's Man's, Man's Mags, or Mag's Mags, I think it is, because there's, the type is missing off the box. It could be Mag's Mags, I think it is. Torsten Buchanow, Mary, Mary Robinson, and, right? And at the bottom of it, it just says and, and there's no other name. So the missing person, whoever you are, thank you very much. And thanks to all you guys. It was incredibly thoughtful and it was a, a wonderful surprise. And as I said, Simona was over the moon as well. So uh, now we have, it's earning her time. She's, my, my, my missus actually found it. Uh, She's found, she, wants, she said we should play it, we should play it, which is the, the advert for Erdinger. So we could actually use that at the top of the programme, but I thought, getting a little bit commercialised. But you'd be glad to see um, uh, that the Erdinger glasses lasted a week. I always get worried about these really tall glasses and you put them in the dishwasher or whatever and leaving them standing up. It's like, you know, I just get nervous about having big, tall glasses. So easy to knock over. Well, Chris Harris, hello. Teresa Wojko Lehmann, hello. Alfred Fishy, any news about the 1982 video from Glasgow? I don't have the 1982 video from Glasgow. I have a really crappy VHS copy, but it's like I don't own it. I have nothing to do with it, right? Um, that reminds me, somebody asked, there was a wee question came in. Going through the paperwork. Uh, uh, da, 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 da. This was Tosh asked me this. Hi, Tosh. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Where was it? I've got it. And I thought that's a perfect time to do this one. Yeah, Tosh. Everyone loves a picture disc, don't they all? Would you be prepared to ask Warner to put, he knows, you know, for records till day, as it is the only Marillion release without one, there would definitely be enough interest. And that one's Glenn Wildy. Will you ever release the picture disc of he knows you know? I have nothing to do with Warners. It's like, you know, we buy the stock of them, but I mean, you know, it's, it's an idea. I mean, Record Store Day is, a, yeah, an interesting concept. Um, uh, I don't, I, because I don't have normal distribution, I only distribute from here, we don't go through kind of normal networks to put it out. So I don't really have much to do in these stores and as much as I respect them and, and what they're doing and stuff is fantastic. But um, the record store day is a uh, wee story. I was actually asked about, um, uh, quite a few years ago, it was when the Grendel thing came out and um, they put out Grendel on, was it a picture disc? I can't remember. And it was, I think it was Grendel on both sides. I think it was a live version on one side and the studio version on the other. And I think it was a, it was a picture disc. And Parlophone Warners, whatever they were, 
uh, contacted me and said, would you get involved with it? And I said, well, I can't really because I don't sell to, to independent record stores and, and you know, I'd rather take a step back. And I, and I said, look, I'd be really interested in, in taking on the, the Grendel thing because, you know, in effect, what we are is we're an independent store. And they said, well, you're not. I said, well, the thing is with independent stores, or most stores nowadays, the shop fronts, but every, most of them, well, everyone that, that, that you ex expect, I mean, it would be unusual for them not to have their own website, which meant they've got their own website, which means that they're selling product. It's one of the reasons why I don't sell to, to retailers, because most of them are, are making, are, are selling online. So why should I sell an album to a store who's got, who puts it up online and I've just create one competition? It doesn't make any sense when we can send it out from here. And um, so anyway, Grendel was coming out, <coughs> Record Store Day. And uh, I was asked and I said, no, I, I really feel I can't. And I said, look, I'd like to sell Grendel to the fans because a lot of the fans would like it, a lot of fans can't get record stores, da da da. And I did say, at the end of today, when, inter when Record Store Day is done over at six o'clock, I'll guarantee you that Grendel 12 inch picture disc will be up for sale in all sorts of places for excessive amounts of money, far more than the intended kind of price that was asked for at the record stores. And anyway, they said, well, no, right? So I went, okay. And you know, as I said, my argument was that I'm a retailer and although I'm just mail order, but the mail order is done by the record store. And, um, and it came out and Grendel came out and then Record Store Day happened and I was right. And there was lots of uh, Grendels that were getting sold for 30, 40, 50 quid and all over the place. And um, and at the end of the day, Warner's turned around to me and said, uh, we've got a lot of excess stock, right? And uh, there's the demand for it has been kind of low. So I said, do you want it, right? I said, yeah. So basically I bought a lot of Grendel, all these Grendel kind of 12 inch color picture this. And we sold them at exactly the price it was supposed to be sold at, you know, which was the, the, the because you're not allowed to say this is the retail price. Everything works on a dealer price. That is the system we work in. You're not allowed to have a recommended retail price anymore. It's like the price will be whatever the demand is, you know, the wonderful system we have that we see unfolding before our eyes on TV every day. Anyway, so Grendel came out. It, also, it sold for stupid money. And um, and it's that, that's the thing where he knows, you know, that's kind of, as much as I think people would like it as a collector's item, you know, but it's one of those things where he knows, you know, will become one of those 30 pound items. In very much the same way as I'm trying to find a really good webcam at the moment. And it's got a retail price, like it was a retail price, about 89 quid, about a month, two months ago. Now it's going for 300, right? And uh, there's, it's, a lot of them are coming from China. So I've been uh, just sitting here being patient. But, but yeah, you know, demand and etc. Fulfillment and... But he knows, you know, it's like, you know, right to Warner's. It's like, you know, it's not something um, I'm kind of, I'm fish ex-marine, which um, points me on to something else today. We story. But, so, Troy Astro tuning in from Detroit. Vero Peters, hello Vero. Sharon Wilson, I'm from East Yorkshire. Ross Anderson, Giza Barn. Al Wilson from Bonnerig, yay. 
John Ward, any chance of a gig here in the Philippines? The gorilla in Manila? I don't think so. Somehow, I really don't think there's a huge fan base down in the Philippines. I was told that I get pirated to hell down there, but I don't think I'm going to be going down there anywhere soon. Sjord <laughs> Majeur, cheers big man. Dave Gibson, Gibson, hi again. Uh, Jersey Duke Quinn, why can't I expect you to come here with some pets on your knees? <laughs> Pets, I mean, we don't have any pets. I had two cats, great cats, uh, Harley and Spike, but they sadly died a while ago, which meant we got a bird population who very rarely come in here and we don't want them in here. And uh, and the dogs, um, Simone and I have decided that yes, we will get dogs. It will probably be Irish wolfhounds, but that is when the, 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 the tour bus finally drops me off for the very last time because Having dogs means that uh, we, it kind of restricts what we do for traveling and things. So, but you know, pet in the knee. It's uh, it's like when I do the garden, when I do the videos for Fun Farm Kitchen Garden. I feel like I should have a Labrador like Monty Don. I don't think you're a real gardener until you've got a dog following you about, looking at you picking up weeds. Yeah, but Robin Smith, Dave Holland, one of your Grendel victims. Where are you, darling? Uh, Mark Sant, hello, Dasho Ross, uh, Edward Pilgrim, Kevin Wilson, Dean Davis. Dean Davis was the missing name, Kevin Williamson himself told me. So Kevin Wilson was just, so Dean Davis, thank you very much for the, the beer and chipping them in the wine and everything. Oh, Mark Sutton, any update on the web store? Um, the shop will be open on Monday, not this weekend. There's a reason for this. What we're setting up is something that's just kinda, it's, it's complicated, it's a new kind of vibe thing, and Fuse Metrics, and especially Martin, down at Fuse Metrics, hello Martin, if you're watching, don't think you will be, but hello Martin. And Martin down at Fuse Metrics has had the, the patience of Job, and he's been an absolute angel to Simona, and working their way through this entire kind of mail order operation. The thing is that like, what we're trying to do is create a mail order operation where you're paying the least amount of money that you should be. Basically, making the mail order as cheap as possible. Now, because we sell things like vinyl, very heavy, very big, sometimes very thick, sometimes thin, the remasters, most about the same size. We've got t-shirts, we've got posters and tubes. Um, because there's all these different packages that have to go into different, well, all these different items have to go into different packages. Then there's different postage, there's data stickers, so I'll come on to that. So what we're trying to do is so when you actually go in and go, I want a tube, I want this, I want a vinyl or whatever, then um, it, ca the, the, it calculates what's the cheapest way to put this all together and get it to you to wherever you are. All the big items will always be tracked and signed for, but we've got to put in standard deliveries as well so that t-shirts become cheaper to send. And, and so it's, it's, you can understand it's, it's quite a complicated process. Um, so Fuse Metrics are working with Royal Mail on this pick and drop thing because the other thing we have to deal with nowadays is electronic customs data stickers and CN22s, which are little things that basically 
within those two stickers, right? Um, it tells you what you've ordered, the size, the dimension, where it was made, where it comes from, where it's going, what you're at, the da da da. It's got everything on top of it. it means the tax man can tell exactly how many albums I'm selling. I say, it, I'll come back down a bit. But it means, it means they know just what's moving where and what it is and da da da. It's got all the different barcodes and shit. We've got that now, right? And it also means that Simona does not have to sit there and handwrite all these CN22 stickers that she was having to do about, well, up to about two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And it means they're printed off with the information in the package. All she has to do is sign, gone, right? And because we're working direct with Royal Mail, it means that there's going to be automatic tracking numbers sent out to you, which before has been an issue because Simona would have to manually send out tracking numbers, which is impossible in the last couple of months, right? So it's only we've resorted to like sending out tracking numbers when somebody has had a problem, right? So now we've got tracking numbers get sent out to you if you've ordered signed and tracked. Well, only if you've ordered, remember. If you ordered standard, you don't find out how it's tracked. Remember that, right? And the address that goes on the label is the address you give us. So we don't change your address. It's the address goes from your address that you put on there. So make sure it's right. And together with all the other things, the custom data stickers means... We got a, a mail, bad news I have. The bad news is, for Americans, I'm really sorry, but we had a letter through <clears throat> from Royal Mail about two days ago, and it was, our costs have gone up by, have gone up by fourfold, fivefold, blah, 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 and it's gonna be more expensive. And, we were told that basically two days ago, which meant once again, we've had to prepare things on the new mail order system that's been scrubbed clear of glitches. And so the bad news is that Americans, you are, I'm sorry, but you're gonna be paying more for postage. We are trying to make the postage as cheap as possible. How you want it, if you want it tracked and signed for, these are, there's a tiny amount of money put on the top of it that covers everything from printing, to cartridges, to electricity, to, to the packaging, to the storage, a wee bit gets added on. But basically the prices you're paying for postage is basically what it's costing. And even I bulk at the prices nowadays for postage. So hopefully, <coughs> well not hopefully, this system will be more efficient. It takes the workload off Simone. It gives you, gives you electronic customs data stickers, which means that when it goes into the machines, and the machines read all the barcodes and stuff. It's kind of, they know where it is in the system, allegedly, and it goes out the other end and it comes to you hopefully a bit faster. One thing I will say is remember that I'm talking to you here because we're in lockdown and it takes longer for packages. Please do not order on a Friday and make a PayPal complaint on Tuesday because you've not got your package. Some people have, well, a few couple of people have done that. It comes out, it takes a bit longer nowadays. All I'm saying is with everything, please be patient. And with a new system that starts on Monday, please just add a little bit more patience because Simona is basically getting up to speed. She's been working through things all week. 
but we're getting up to speed and getting things out. It is happening. It's a great new system. I think you're going to be a lot happier with it. And I've got to say, <coughs> on the back of that, this is, if you're watching, Teodulo Teo, Teo, Teo Teo Copada, who's in Pacifica in the United States, put in a massive order and, as I was saying, glitches. One of the glitches that was thrown up was it packaged every item that he'd ordered into individual packages. And that's one of the things we're cleaning up. And so the idea is when somebody puts in a big order, then it assembles that order into the correct packages for the cheapest way to get it to you and then bounces us the stickers, we sticker it and it moves, right? But Teodolo, you got a calculation on a very, very big order and your postage costage was immense. Someone is dealing with it and there's a refund for the postage coming back to you once we've calculated, but your order's been processed. All the orders that came in during those little windows when the shop was open, Simona has been working through them and those were the orders that pointed out to all the glitches. Enough of that shit. Wow. <sighs> Matthew Bennett. Uh, hello. Uh, Andres Dow, a bit low on Dexys tonight, Mr. Fish. <laughs> Barry Kappa, hello. Kevin Van Dock, Lee Simpson. Mike Jones, hello there. Hello there, hello there. Uh, go away, go away. Stefan Arons, hiya. Matthew Schoolman, Kay Velasquez from Parents College of Cayley, Venezuela, rock on. Yeah. Oh, by the way, somebody who remains nameless, right? Now, if I think I've got this right, which is why I'm not mentioning his name, but as you probably heard, Cayley McNemony, right, or McEnemy, who's um, the, the, the press lady out across at the White House, Cayley, right? He wrote, he tracked down her dad, well, he thinks he's tracked down her dad, and he sent an email going, did you call her Kaylee because of the Marillion song? <laughs> he said, he got an answer, he goes, I don't know, I'll have to ask her, which doesn't make any sense to me. Right? So let's find out. America. Let's get on with that later on. So, Martin Longbottom, did you, oh, did you catch that gold tooth? The gold tooth, uh, it's gone away again. It just moves so fast. Kevin Van Dort, hello, Kev Shaw. He knows you know why. Duh. Right. Uh, Christian Dusum, someone who's done a brilliant job, she is. I felt really, I was feeling really guilty because she, her head was straight into this for the whole last week. It's just been going through all these different setups and commutations, but she's been doing a brilliant job and that wine that came in from you guys was perfect, perfect. Right. Oh, the, uh, thanks, book. Christian Drusen. Spike Milligan famously has a, has, I told you I was ill, as an epitaph, what would be yours? I've got no idea. I have, I've, I have thought about this, you know? And um, as William Luff, my press guy knows, it's like, you know, every time he asks me to write a kind of biography for a press release, it's like, it's always thousands of words. As Mark Wilkinson will testify, anybody who knows me, it's like, you know, write it. 
I think probably, I think it's a good idea and I think I could see this as being a future, in, in the future. It's like, it'll just have your, your name on it and a number, right? And you'll you probably have a little chip at the side. So basically, you know, you take along a dongle, right? And you stick it in the side of the gravestone and you download, you, the, you know, the, the, the obituary or like the life story of the person. So you just go to the graveyard, oh, yeah, I've got a dongle on that, yeah. Oh, that's a plumber. So it's, um, I, I've got no idea. I don't have no idea what I'd, I'd, I'd get put on. There's uh, a lot of things. <laughs> nah. <laughs> there are a lot of live videos showing you wearing the same shirt. Have you got more than one or do you have a very busy washing machine on tour? Last tour with the flower shirt. It was the, the flower shirt that I wore on, on the last tour. It was a really nice one. I think it was a, I think it was a Paul Smith. And it was the only one that... Uh, that we found that, that actually fitted me because I'm 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 double XL, right? And uh, and we kept we kept it up. We ordered some stuff from China, right? and he was like, "Oh, guaranteed double XL." And I went, "I'll get a triple just in case." Triple XL shirt from China, right? Four weeks it arrives, right? You put it on. It was for an action man. Honest to God, I could hardly get my arms and my shoulders through it. It's like what triple X, I don't know what triple XL means in China sometimes. It's like, you know, but either like people, like Asian people kind of like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it's like, and the only one I found was this Smith shirt, right? And it was, a, and it was the only one I had for the whole tour. So I had to hand wash it at night and things. So like, and I, you know, because I do, I do sweat profusely on stage, as you probably noticed. And, um, and it was, um, so I hand washed the shirt all the time, and it, it, even despite that, it was shrinking. So now, I mean, I, I, I couldn't even get on like, the buttons. It'd be like cartoon buttons popping, you know? But, uh, but yeah, I need to. I hate stage clothes. I just hate them, right? I hate the choice. You know, I'm happy with I've got jeans. I buy my jeans from Gap now because they, they've got the correct uh, in, the inside leg. It's, it's a 35, 36. It's a 35 inside leg, and I'm about a 30 to 40 waist, right? And these jeans work great. I mean, the number of jeans that you buy, same as the shirts. But it's like, you know, wait a minute. I mean, sorry, I lie. Yeah, but it was the same shirt. And I will, I'll have to go through that at some point and come up with new stage clothes. And I'm really not looking forward to it at all. All right. Is there any footage from when Marillion supported Quo in Milton Keynes Bowl? No. I said this to you before. It's like the lack of footage you know, uh, those heady days between 85 and 87, it's, it's quite shameful that, you know, nobody within management and record company had the kind of, the foresight to actually record something. But as I said before, back in those days when you were shooting concerts, it was a lot more expensive with the cameras. You know, you didn't have, uh, you didn't really have the access to the digital, effort that we have nowadays but i mean despite that you know the, the fact that there was nobody filmed anything the bbc did some stuff on on that but not a full concert where yeah so no sorry there's nothing from glasgow there's nothing from milton Keynes. you know apart the main one was the the lorelei show so it'll have to remain in your imagination yeah um 
Joe Burke, Burkquest, do you still have the same feelings 37 years or later performing new material? Um, I think when you perform new material, there's always a sense of trepidation, um, especially when nobody's heard it. I mean, like the Velschwerts material on, you know, this year's gig. <laughs> Aberdeen Lemon Tree. It's going to be great. It's, it's what it's looking like now. 2020 fish gigs. Aberdeen Lemon Tree. Right. It used to be 70. You used to do on the Facebook page. It was 70 gigs a, a year, 50 gigs a year. Aberdeen Lemon Tree, 2020. And when we played that, the, the Velchman's material, yeah, I was nervous. And you're not exactly confident because singing in the studio is completely different from singing live. You know, I love singing live because, I mean, having the people there, you've got an energy in the room and audience looking at you, you know, that performance thing comes in, which, you know, I kind of, it frees you up in a lot of the, um, it frees you up in the deliveries a lot of the time. And there's, there's energies coming in, which is why, you know, sometimes it's, it's good to, to play stuff live and then record trying to reconnect. Lost you for a minute there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, playing new stuff live, I mean, you know, when it's demanding, it's, you, you do get very nervous because, you know, the last thing you want, because you're, you're playing a, uh, you're, you're playing live, you're playing a set, and if you've just done two or three songs, everybody's kind of buzzing and, you know, like a bit vibed up and stuff, the last thing you want to do is, you know, layer in a kind of, you know, put in a low plateau for like, you know, 10 minutes, where everybody goes, you know, people looking a bit going, what's that? What's this, what's this one, you know? So uh, yeah, I do get nervous. And you know, and there is a whole thing about, you know, giving some, you know, somebody buying an album and listening to a piece of music in their home, you know, you're not aware of kind of the reactions, you know, it's like until you read Facebook. So, but you know, live, you, you get it straight off and you know, you really don't want to have a tumbleweed moment, you know? You know, and uh, I've had them. <laughs> so, okay, Tris Thompson, hi Fish, you were at the Castle Donington gig when the infamous Bad News played. Was it as bad as it looked and did you meet them? A lot of people have seen Bad News for People International was a, it was run by, it was a, the comic strip was a series, uh, a comedy series that was on Channel 4, I think. Aid Edmondson, uh, Rick Mayo were involved with writing in it, and I can't remember who the other guys were. And they created this band called Bad News, and they were bad. And it was it was very funny. It was very like Spinal Tap, but very British, right? And it was um, at Donington. They decided to, they played Donington, and they went on very early in the bill. And it was a whole setup about Bad News finally playing Donington. And Joe Elliott and I were asked, we were interviewed, and we, we knew what it was, but I loved the, the first bad news program on the comic show, I thought was brilliant, right? And Joe Elliott and I were big fans, and they asked Joe and I to comment on bad news, and they played Donington really badly, right? Deliberately, really badly, right? And Joe and I were interviewed. And during the interview, Joe and I were absolutely castigating. I mean, we absolutely tore them apart, and we, we just appeared really, really pissed off, right? 
And we were acting, darling. We were acting. And a lot of people actually thought it was a serious interview. And we were actually, the two of us were just, you know, ripping into bad news just because it was it had to be done. But yeah, it was a lot of fun, Donington. So, but I'm, yeah. That was a very fun Donington for me. Uh, Hansie McPansy, two or four members appearing on Top of the Pops. Sometimes. I wasn't a big fan of Top of the Pops. It was a bit stressful. Another, another day in a large story. Uh, Jeffrey Harrison, Frozen Fish. Yeah, I heard it. I saw it. Tripped. Not much energy gigs in me anymore, Simon Shepard. <laughs> Official Friday t-shirt update. As I said, the, the mail order store will be open on a Monday. The shirts will be there. I've still got to get in touch with my, my Luxembourg cartoonist. You heard that correctly. My Luxembourgish cartoonist is uh, Andy. I've got, I was meaning to get in touch with Andy who's agreed to, to put together something for the Funny Farm Kitchen Garden. And because you've said you'd like a cartoon, we have a nice photograph. We've got a nice setup, but I need to get Andy but last week we were just hectacated to hell, right? And whatever that was going on, and I just couldn't get, get around to, to doing it. But yes, it is in the front of my mind, and we shall be dealing with T-shirts, yes. Rob Price, are you oblivious to the wind chimes? Are they coming across real loud there? Yeah, I, I, I'm so used to the wind chimes. It's, uh, I love wind chimes, and it's, um, we've got, We've got four or five in, in the garden and uh, they're quite trippy sometimes. And uh, it's outside, the, the, the area outside where it's really windy at the moment, as you can hear, right? It's got the water and the water fountain and it's our little, what we call the balcony. I think I've been there before in Durlach, we had a balcony on the flat and that's our place out there. Simone, a nice place, so. Matthew Bennett, you got the Bad News VHS cassette, good on you. Pete Richardson and Nigel Planer. God, how can I forget? Nigel, yeah, it was, we, Marillion had a thing with, uh, um, with, with those guys, and uh, there's a Glastonbury story in 83, but I'll come to that another time. This, that's a good one. <laughs> uh, uh, no, go away, go away, go away, go away, go away. Uh, bad news were fantastic, Andy Goucher, yeah. I played for them in No Man. I played for them in No Man. Da -da -da. Any Pendragon stories? Yeah, there's a couple. I've, I can't, if I dive in, I, I can get sidetracked for like a while. So I'll get sidetracked in here. Oh, where's my little sheet with all the bits? Oh, I got asked to do um, the one. I was uh, I had to do one of those BBC Scotland interviews today, and uh, I was phoned up. Uh, I completely forgotten about this until I went online and I saw the Edinburgh Evening News, um, and it reminded me that it was like thirty years ago. I think it was yesterday that. Uh, um, Hibernian Football Club, my the football club I support, um, nearly went down. Not, no, they went down. Nearly disappeared. 
because Hart and Midlothian, who are a rival team in the city of Edinburgh, they had uh, a chairman stroke owner called Wallace Mercer, who was, he was kind of like, it's like kind of like a weird relative of Donald Trump. He was a big businessman. I met him a couple of times and really didn't like him. It was, he was just a, nah, it's, I, I could even go into it in great detail because of lit, litigation, you know, but he was a, a, he was not a nice man. And anyway, what happened was that the previous directors had made some very bad decisions, very stupid decisions. And, uh, Wallace Mercer, we were, we were put on the stock exchange, which opened us right up for a takeover. And Wallace Mercer, uh, came with six million and tried to buy us and he wanted to buy us, uh, sell our stadium, get rid of the team, the colours, everything and basically it would become Heart of Midlothian, although it was, people were touting Edinburgh Football Club, but uh, it was basically we were going to get taken out and I didn't know anything about this before, before the news broke. I would, I'd been kicking about the club for I, my, my dad and I had, had season tickets and um, I was always being kind of uh, kind of courted. They liked the idea of having a rock star, Duff and Gray, the two people involved, they liked the idea of kind of personalities, blah, blah, blah. And I was a bit nervous. I, I, I like to be a fan, you know, soon enough, and I know from experience, as soon as you, you're a fan and you get involved with the business side or into the boardroom, you get caught up in the politics, then there's all that. I don't want, I want to watch football. You know, I don't want to get involved in, in, in anything else. I just want, I want to be a steer fan, watch football. And um, so anyway, I was in Germany. We were in Köln 30 years ago this weekend. And suddenly my mobile phone started ringing, right? And oh, I'll show you, I've got it. Wait a minute, this is brilliant. I still have this. I still have this thing. This, this is great, right? This, this was my mobile phone when I was on the vigil tour, right? I'm, I'm a sad man, I, I still, I've got a drawer across here that's got a load of old tech in it. I think I celebrate that it's died, right? And, it's a, and this is, that is my original mobile phone from Vigil in the Wilderness and Minnows Days. A horrible thing. It used to cost an absolute fortune when you were in Europe, an absolute fortune. In fact, it cost a fortune in the UK. And the battery life was rubbish. And it was really difficult to get a signal in, in places, but this, it was a, it's a Motorola, a Motorola thing, right? It looks like something that, that like an American infantryman in World War II would have in a foxhole, you know, like, like call it down on my position, call it down on my position. Broken arrow, broken arrow. <laughs> so, I'm in Germany, I'm in Cologne, that starts ringing, right? And it's my dad. Right, and my dad's going, club's going, the club's going down, we're losing the club. And I'm going, what are you on about? And he's going, oh, it's, and then he started to try and explain. And then I had, then I lost the call and then somebody else phoned me up. And I've got like about 10 people trying to phone me up to tell me that basically hearts are buying hips and we are, and basically within 24 hour, 48 hour or whatever it was, 
we would no longer exist. The club that I had supported since I was a kid no longer existed, right? Which for those of you who are really into football and support all your various clubs, you know, that is a kind of pretty traumatic thing, right? So I'm in Cone. So I said to my dad, what's happening? What's happening? And he couldn't, he said, I'll send you the paper, right? So not only are these in the days of like mobile phones the size of minis, right? It was also the days of the fax machine, right? So my dad, right, got the Edinburgh Evening News, which at that time was kind of a biggish paper, and he cut the Evening News up into strips and started feeding it through the fax machine. And I told him, I said, I had to go to go to soundcheck. And I said, I'll be back at the hotel like in, in, in half an hour. When I soundcheck, came back and I arrived in the hotel reception and there were reams and reams and reams of paper spewing into reception. The receptionist was going nuts, right? And it's just, it's just this Edinburgh Evening News, not only the Edinburgh Evening News, but the Scotsman and all the other papers that were covering, you know, which was basically every newspaper in Scotland, was coming through in a ripped up frame, in a ripped up sections or scissored sections through the fax machine. And it looked like the Andrex puppy should be rolling about in reception. There was that much paper. And, um, and I'm trying to read it and I'm having to piece these pieces together and put faxes, you know, like those scenes you get in kind of spy movies where they're trying to reassemble the shredded paper. It was kind of like that. And I'm reading this horror story about how basically by going on the stock exchange, we'd left ourselves wide open to a takeover. But thankfully, uh, uh, Mr. McLean, Ken McLean and his son and a lot of other great people got together and they saved the club and they managed by all sorts of means to swing the club and the supporters came together and the city of Edinburgh came together. There was a lot of great feeling from heart supporters that, that basically didn't want to see us go either. And um, so it was a case of we managed to keep ourselves together and uh, Sir Tom Hunter, who was a big uh, a businessman in, in Edinburgh, stepped in and bailed the club out and that's why we're here today but it was 30 years ago like you know this weekend when I was in Colne in this holiday inn watching the paper come out the fax machine I was not happy chappy believe me uh. but today I had to do an interview with, with BBC live at 125 and it's like you will be on at 125 great wonderful so hi there so so this is the first thing that, that, that they asked or they said was a uh, fish who was touring with Marillion back then. And it was like, <laughs> first thing I said was, nah. I said, I was actually out the band at that point, right? And of course, with it being a really short interview, one of those little soundbite things you get on live radio. And it's like, you know, the fact that I was questioning the fact that I was in the, in the, the band or not. Like, anyway, so, but fish out of Marillion. I, it's, I, I kind of hate it. It's like, you know, it's like, you know, being introduced with, with the tag. I mean, yeah, I appreciate, you know, that, yeah. Yes, I was in the band. I've got, I'm proud of my time there, but, you know, I left it 30 years ago and I'm still getting introduced as Fisher and Marillion. It's kind of, it kind of helps you. It's, you know, it's like saying this, it's like Son of, you know, like the Son of Thorson, right? Or being introduced by like this is the guy that used to be married to so and so, you know. Right? But uh, 
But yeah, so anyway, BBC Scotland today, so there was a little bit of fog pan that kind of like nudged me off. And, uh, and I had a coffee head on, so I was straight on it. Right? So, um, John Ward, the Heart of Lothian is on the Royal Mile. Yes, the Heart of Lothian is on the Royal Mile. And I always get absolute jip from hip supporters because I wrote a, sign, a song, or I wrote a lyric called Heart of Lothian. Heart of Lothian is a cobbled area that's in the Royal Mile. And it's where they used to burn witches. Um, so the story goes. And they say that if you spit on the, the heart of Lothian, this cobbled heart of Lothian, if you spit in it, you will always return back to Edinburgh, which is kind of a Scottish thing. It's like, you know, like the Trevi Fountain, you know, you throw a coin and you'll always return to Rome. It's in Edinburgh, you spit on the ground and you'll always come back to <laughs> That always amazes me. It's like when you walk past it, it's, it's, really, it's gross, man. You know, in the summer you walk past it, it's, it's like a little area of the street all covered in gob. Like, you know, oh no. And especially nowadays, it's completely unsafe. Wear a mask. But the heart of Lothian is probably crawling with COVID-19 at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, chime should feature on a track in the outdo? Yeah. Oh yeah, we're going to have a lot of uh, outtakes for um, uh, the videos. Uh, as I said, Dave Barris and Scott Mackay and I were filming the, the, my side of the, the, the This Party's Over video. And uh, I wasn't allowed to wear glasses. They say you can't wear glasses in the video because it, it's going to reflect and it'll, it'll screw up the white screen stuff if there's flashes in your eye. Da -da -da. So I had to take my glasses off. I just like, I, I, remembering lyrics. Hi Liam. How you doing? Liam's about to walk behind you. Me. No, he's not. He's got his room. Thank God. Uh, so. Tom Farmer, the quick fit chap. Tom Farmer was the guy that, that, that was who stepped in to save him. Tom Farmer. Sir Tom, Sir Tom Farmer. Yes. Andy Colborn, hi Fish, do you ever forget the words or does the music prompt you? Yes, I forget the words, which is exactly what I was talking about before, about the This Party's Over video. When I take my glasses off, I can't see. I used to have brilliant eyesight. I had really excellent vision. And the one thing, one or two things that I will go on. I hate, I don't like wearing glasses, right? I've just got to it now where I wear them all the time. They're bifocals, so I need them for reading, and I need them now for long distance. My eyes were perfect until about the mid-90s, and I blame it on discovering Quake and discovering computer games and spending hours and hours on PC playing Doom and Quake, right? which I don't play anymore. I don't play computer games. And I reckon that was what my eyes in, but, you know, the, the glasses, like... You know, I just accept it, you know, but I don't like, I, I really feel nervous when I take them off now because I can't see a thing. Like everything is a blur, you know? But another thing I really hate is the teeth. Yeah. yeah. That gap never used to be there. I, I've, I've always put your teeth and then I lost, I got teeth taken out. I used to be okay with my teeth, but teeth were okay when I was a kid. And I used to go and see this guy called Mr. Fubister, who was a, 
kind of strange guy in Dalkeith that lived three stories up, uh, th three up the stairwell, and uh, he was you could always smell the whiskey off him, right? And uh, he was kind of like one of those dark 1950s dentists, you know. It was if there's something, it was, something felt illegal about when you went into surgery. It was all kind of it was like hidden away. It was like what you were about to take part in was something that you know was illegal. And I never liked him, really, you know. And um, and when I joined the band, I, I didn't go to Dennis, I, and I just let it go. And it wasn't until 1986 that I went in to see a dentist. I'd, I'd been, when I had toothache, I had something done when I was on tour. But it was 1986 when I moved to Gerrard's Cross, I went to a dentist. And it was like two grand to get all my teeth done. It was, they were falling apart. I had to get stuff taken out, and, and ever since then it's been all downhill. But then I had teeth taken out, and suddenly this gap, I'm turning into a bloody rabbit. Right? And this gap's getting wider, and I've got one of those little emoji things on my phone, and it's like, and I, so I put, I've got a hat on, and I've got my white beard, and then I realised it's like I've got the thing in the teeth, and ever since then I've been really conscious, self conscious about it. And I got the, when we did the video for Miles Scarron, that Dave Barris and Scott McCann shot and sent it down to Miles to put on the animation. And, it's, and it's the way it's shot, it's like you just see the rabbit teeth. And it's really getting to me now, and I don't know, I've got to get polyfiller or something to, to seal it up. It's getting a bit much. But anyway. Hi from a very wet, windy Isle of Lewis, Jesse Ann McLeod, a great name, from Stornoway, Isle of Lewis. Uh. <laughs> Andrew Glennon, would you ever get laser eye surgery instead of gigs? I don't quite understand that. I went, I, I didn't think about going off that, I just, I can't, I can't get it. It's like, there's, there's, eyes are one of the things that really make me book, right? It's, you know, things to do with eyes, eye surgery and anything that goes with sharp objects near my eyes or watching on TV, I'm like, I'm, I want to be behind the couch, right? I think it's got... There's a guy called John McCrae I went to school with at Kings Park Primary and when we used to go up to the, 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 the school, right, and you, we used to get lunchtime breaks and stuff and we'd all come, we'd come out, I'd go back to my house for lunch with my mum and dad and things and come back up. But there was a butcher's right on the corner of Croft Street, right, and you, it would never happen now. <laughs> and basically, it was like all the stuff from the butcher's we kind of get put in the Croft Street and it would be waiting on the, the, the trucks coming along to pick it up. And I always remember like one time it was like coming up there and John McCrae found an eyeball. It was a cow's, well I think it was a cow's eyeball. It must be, I hope it was a cow's eyeball. And he found this cow's eyeball and started throwing it at people. It was the most gross thing. And I always remember after it being thrown about and it bouncing about on the floor like some kind of sudden punctured tennis ball, right? He jumped on it and it exploded. And it's that's always stayed with me for all my life. It's like watching this cow's eyeball explode. I think that's got... And laser eye surgery, just, uh, it goes in an area I really don't want to go into, right? So I'll wear glasses and I'll clean my glasses. Although it's a pain and I need glasses on stage because as you all know, 
I read words. I have those words on stage because you are correct. I cannot remember them all. There are too many, right? And the thing is that the musicians, Steve and the guys, they need me to hit cues and I need to hit cues and da-da-da. And if I go wrong and go off-piste, then it can really, really throw things. So I have those words there as a fallback zone. And to be honest, most musicians now have their little iPads all sitting in front of them with the same things on them. But it's because I'm at the front, you notice me, and because I'm very open and I have a music stand with the words on it. Okay. Best one ever was on Sunset, the, the, on Plagigos, when we did the Rain Gods tour and I had the lectern with the, the candles on it and stuff. That was pretty cool, to make something of it. Right. Reloading this because I've lost you. I hope you're enjoying it this week. A couple of things. What was the other, other bits and pieces? Oh yeah, I was on um, I was on Pointless yesterday. I was uh, talking about fish at Marillion, right? And it was very nice of them. I'll explain. Uh, I got a text of my mate Kenny down the town and he said like, you're on Pointless, right? And I, he said, you're one of the answers on Pointless. And I went on and they had the, the Pointless, for those of you who don't know, is, is a, a UK TV programme. And you go through the rounds and you win it by coming up with uh, the most pointless answer, right? So, for example, if they, they might say the cast of Dirty Dozen or whatever, right? And then they ask, basically what happens is, I think it's like 100 people or 200 people are asked in the, out of the UK by chance, are asked, name characters from the Dirty Dozen, right? And the character that is mentioned the least or the character that is not mentioned in the cast list, right, is a pointless one. Therefore, that's how you win it, by getting the least points, right? And I was on it yesterday. And what it was, was uh, famous personalities whose name is one word, right? And Kenny, my mate, says, you got to go up and see it. You're on it, you're on it. And there was a board of about, oh, 20 famous people. And you know, to give you an idea, it was like Pelly, Cher, uh, who else was on it? Sting was on it. Um, there was a bunch of people on it. And there was my face on the left-hand side. And I'm, of course, kind of, oh, it's him, right? And like inside of me, I'm like kind of going, oh no, right? Because you're watching, Seal was another one. Seal got, I think, I think he was, 13 or 13 points or something and then the very last person out of the the people to go around and, and guess the, the the picture put the name to the picture right so there was my picture up there and they had to basically name who it was right and so they'd done kind of all the bits and pieces and you know pink was on there as well and i'm waiting on somebody to go oh that's fisher that's fisher Marillion. <laughs> and somebody went that's fish right and they said like it went it's basically a big counter on it. It goes, if, it's at the top, it goes, if you're right, if you're wrong, it goes, bang, and it goes zero, right? 100%, that yields up 100 points. 
And then if you get it right, it goes, it tells you, like, it goes down, like, and I was three, I was three, and I was the second most pointless person up there. And the one that was actually zero, the, and actually an appointless person that nobody got, the picture that nobody got of a person with one name, a celebrity one name, it was Topol from Fiddler on the Roof. So I'm actually three points more famous than Topol of Fiddler on the Roof. That's something that, eh? <laughs> but I was really glad I wasn't pointless, yeah. So, but I mean, the other thing is that it's really cool because it's like actually to be on that board with Pelly and Sting and Pink and Seal and all the rest of it and Topol, right, of course, can't forget Topol. It was like, yeah, I was going like, that's quite cool, that is. Oh, I'm a... But the other great thing we said, that's fish, right? So when Andrew and that said, we said, they said it, it's like, it's fish, not fish at a million, that's fish. Dang. Here we go. Seven o'clock, and now the news. Yeah, the news. I don't, I'm just trying to reload this. Anna Tjernstrom, hello from Sweden, and the line on Pointless is a great quiz show. My mum loves it, she watches it all the time. See when I was on it, because I have been on Pointless twice, right? And I've actually been a contestant. And I did actually not too bad. Let down, maybe. But like, I've been on it, so it's like, you know, my mum, you're right up there, right up there. You could have anything, you could be selling out here, selling that, but you don't, if you don't see it on Pointless, in there, right in. Ben Whoppy, hi from France. Uh, Sean Clark. Uh, Jan Mitchell. Did you ever consider work with Clive Nolan? Nah, I've got other guys. Nice guy, Clive. No, well, nice guy, but no, I've never really wanted... I've always had my team around me. I've never kind of went outside, really. Peter E. Gibbons, cheers fish from Canada. Kevin Van Dort, say hello mum. Dean Goodall, you were also on Radio 2, Popmaster yesterday, 3 and 10. Wow. Something is afoot. Um, Andreas Dahl, thinking you, Andreas. I'll talk to you later on tonight. What's another thing? Elspeth Boscan, BBC, da da da. Um, the news. I don't want to kind of go into politics here because this is all one-sided and, you know, even on a stage, you can be heckled back and shouted down. This is not the right place for it, but, you know, and it's the wrong time as well, in a way. But, you know, you can't help. You know, I'm actually, I'm, I'm wearing this shirt tonight. It's a, uh, it's a BB King shirt. I got this in New York and it was uh, um, the last, the last time I played a, my gig in, in New York, which was obviously BB King's. And uh, I remember that night, we had a fantastic gig, brilliant gig. And um, we had to leave the building and the bus had to pick us all up. And the bus had the trailer on it for the equipment. And so we had to unload all the equipment from downstairs in BB King's 
up onto the street. And all the band and crew, we ended up sitting on the street on top of our equipment and we were outside for about an hour waiting on the bus, just sitting in an emptying street in York City after a gig. It was desperate, desperately dismal. And the thing was, it was like, as in well, American clubs, right? Uh, they took something like, it was 25% of the merchandise, right? So we had a really good merchandise in New York because we had, we had to sell it in the venue that night, obviously. So we sold it. So they, they basically took, you know, a lot of money off me for merchandise, right? And it was like, at the end of the night, I'm coming out and we're sitting there and I said, can I get a souvenir? And I said, is it possible to get a shot? And just to retrace, back in 1982, 1983, Right. Well, 1983, when I first went to America, we were offered shirts by everybody. Every radio station, you got a shirt. Every time you did a venue, you got a shirt. I came back, literally, with a separate suitcase full of American T-shirts. And they were great. And I was like, oh, I've got this, got this. Now, you know, later on in time, swag. We always call it swag. Getting swagged up, right? So swag is anything you can kind of get from a venue or, or whatever and get it for free. And getting swagged up was always a little test. And various members of the crew in the band used to always try and get swagged up with like something with like the venue, a special thing with the venue's name in it, or a, a shirt of security or something that said crew in it, rather than a basic shirt, getting proper swagged up. And I decided I wanted to get swagged up in BB King's, right? And I'm going up, I said, any chance to get them on the show? Really good, you know, from Edinburgh, Scotland, you know, I'd wear it, it'll be great, blah, 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 blah. Would they sell it to me? Yes. Would they give it to me? Absolutely not. They sat there, they took, I think they took about a, a grand office in, in, in commission on my t-shirts and they wouldn't give me a club t-shirt for free. And it's, the thing is, I paid for it and I paid a lot of money for this actually. And it's one of my favorites and it's been, and I thought I'd wear it today. It was, um, I put it on by accident because I found it because my mum is in her bedroom and all our wardrobes, drawers and stuff are still, a lot of them are still through there. We've got like, we kind of live in a hotel in the, the back room of the house. So we've got limited and I found this in a drawer when I was looking for something for the video shoot the other day. And I wore it and I was like, New York. And, uh, and it's kind of like, um, I've got into watching CNN tonight a lot. My wife and I, we tend to watch CNN before the, the last thing at night before we kind of, you know, lock the doors and turn the lights on. And uh, it's impossible to get away from the whole George Floyd situation. Um, it's horrendous, it's, it's, it's scary, it's frightening, and I kind of want to take a, another angle on this, you know, rather than make a comment and get involved with that American side. But, When I was brought up in Scotland, you know, it was uh, the most of the racism that existed was mainly between a Scotland England thing, which was when you were kids, you know, it was like, but it was more, it was more kind of sectarian. It was more a Catholic Protestant thing than than a colour thing, right? that was one of the big dividers. Not so much in the East Coast, right? 
But you know, I didn't actually um, come across a black person until I met Tony Helliwell, who is a guy who's stayed a, a, a very good, very close friend of mine for a number of years. And he was kind of like the first black person I ever met. He was the only black person at, at, at the school, at, at Kings Park Primary. And uh, so my kind of impression and take on everything is, is, is really, really different. And, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't really aware of it till a lot, a, a lot later. And, uh, and it's interesting. I mean, there's actually a number of stories I could relate here, but the one I want to kind of go, go to because I for, I'd forgotten about this song, right? And it was a really important song for me at the time. And the song is What Colour Is God from the Sunsets and Empire album. And there was a couple of things happened on the run-up to that album that, that really influenced my way of thinking and, and really made me take a step back and have a look at myself as well. And the first thing was uh, my daughter Tara was at school and um, she'd be getting kind of religious lessons. They were, they were broaching the subject, right? And she came back and she actually asked me the question. She said, what color is God? And it really threw me, right? And I, my answer was, you know, God is, is not of any color. Right. You know, and she couldn't understand it. And it kind of triggered when I saw the Malcolm X film. And there's a brilliant scene in the library with, I think it's Morgan Freeman. And he basically comes to this point where he says that, you know, when, we, when you're brought up, it's like, you know, white is always seen as being good, black is always seen as being bad, right? Jesus is always portrayed as a white man. God is always portrayed as, as a white man. And, and it was that whole thing about how, you know, we've been brought up on this. And it, it, it really made me think, you know, about how our, our society's been kind of, um, how we're exposed to, to, to that kind of system. And then, but we were never exposed in this country, well, not in Scotland, well, in the part of Scotland that I lived in, you know, as much as you were in Detroit or uh, Los Angeles or Chicago, or New York or Atlanta or wherever. And, um, and I, was, I really got thinking as well, there was something that happened round about that time. We went to Poland, it was on the Yin and Yang tour, and our, my lighting guy was called Fats. And he was a black guy from, from Birmingham. And uh, he was out with us. And he was, obviously, we were a tight crew, tight banding crew. And we were in Poland. And I remember we'd, we'd come through into Eastern Poland. Something happened on the tour, right? And basically, we lost a gig in Lithuania. We had to go to the drive, got us just into Poland. So that story's another long, long story. But we got into, we just got into Eastern Poland and we were in a real kind of, it was well off the beaten track, this place. It was like, it was a one street town. And we ended up in a, in a hotel 
There was, I remember walking into it and it was like the entire, the entire hotel was painted in maroon and white. Everything was painted maroon and white. And I thought I was in a heart supporters club, right? And um, the baths were like about this size. It was ridiculous. It was a really strange place. And it was such a weird kind of okay place that, I mean, I remember there was a crowd that gathered in, in the high street and, and it was just outside the barbers and the, the, the barber shop in this place, it was like black and white photographs of people from the 1950s. That was the haircuts they were advertising, right? But there was this crowd that gathered and they were, what they were actually watching was two dogs that were, had been, that were shagging and got stuck together. And there was a crowd that gathered and that was the kind of place. And I remember when we walked down the street with Fats, it was, it was like something off Blazing Saddles. It was weird. And everybody turned around and was staring at Fats because they'd, they'd never seen a black person in, in real life before. And we moved on and to a gig the next day and then we, we, we went out to a, a, a disco. Like we got invited by the, the kind of promoter to a local disco with local public and stuff. And we were on the floor and Fats was dancing on the floor and suddenly it was like bang, 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 bang. And people were spoiling for a fight. I mean, really trying, you know, and, you know, giving them that and ended up in a circle. And it was watching that, watching Fats deal with that at the time and the way he dealt with it, you know, it really got me thinking. And then months later, I'd gone to, uh, my wife and I at the time, see my wife, my ex-wife Tamara and I, we're going to uh, St. Lucia and we were going through Gatwick Airport and the, f the flight was delayed and uh, we were stuck for like three hours, four hours and they gave us vouchers and basically Mickey Simmons lived, lived near Gatwick and I phoned up Mickey and said, look, I'm stuck here for four hours, we get, let's go out for a meal somewhere. And I had all these vouchers and there was a guy there, he was, he was a local guy for St. Lucia and he was saying goodbye to his girlfriend who was English. He was black, she was white, and they, da, da, da. and they were saying goodbye, and it was always tears. I said, look, we've got a load of vouchers, we don't need them, you know, a load of drink vouchers, why don't you just have them, and just, you know, we're going out, you take them, and then we went away. And then we saw the guy later on, and he said, I'll see you on, on the island, and we're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Later on, on the island, we see the guy walking along the beach, and then it's like, hi, how are you doing, da, da, da. Long story very short, we got talking, he invited us down to, he invited us down to the, the local town to go and come to the clubhouse, right? And my wife and I had been on, Tamara and I had been on, on in Seleucia and it was, uh, we were seeing a lot of, because the island, a lot of property in the island being bought by white people and there was a, there was a lot of racism in, in Seleucia that I, I hadn't, I didn't know about before and I, I got talking to people and they, they, I was getting, told about all this that was going on. Then we ended up going down to the local town and uh, we went into this, into the, into this big, long kind of hall, right? And the local guy, this, this black guy, took us in and I walked in and I never felt so white in my life. It was just full of black people, right? And I kind of felt, I was going back to Poland and things at the time, but I was there where, my then wife, and we're walking up and there was a crowd of teenagers on the, the left-hand side of the hall. And as we walked past, right, and the guy who'd brought us in and said to us, he said, look, he said, this is, it's gonna be a bit hairy. He said, just trust me, you're gonna be safe. You're gonna be safe. He said, 
I've got to take you up and walk you up to basically the leader in, in, in this area, right, in this hall. And he said, you will, he won't say anything to you, right, but you just have to stand next to him. And he said, by standing next to him, you're being accepted and your presence is being accepted in this place, right? And as we walked past what I came to know was the Wolverine Park, right? You know, it was the abuse that came at us as we went past, right? Was, I'd never experienced that before, right? And it was scary. I mean, I admit, I was very scared and I was there with, you know, my then wife, right? And we walked all the way up to the top of the hall. We stood next to the guy and it was like something was said and we stood there and the guy said, it's cool now. Right, it's okay. And then we went back and we had a couple of red stripes tomorrow. But that was where the root of the lyric writing on what colour is God came from. And then from that thing with my daughter to Malcolm X to the facts experience in Poland to my experience in St. Lucia. And I grafted that together into that lyric. I've listened to it at some point. And it was... Um, I hate what I'm seeing coming through from America. I mean, you know, I think all of us, because of our social upbringing, because of, you know, things that were acceptable, when you look at, you know, what's happened, you know, in the last three, four years, and, and you look what is acceptable now, and what was acceptable back then in the 70s, right, or the 60s, I mean, there's a vast difference. And like, you know, you know, I remember, you know, I've had to, I had to pick up my dad, and, and I've picked up my mum on seeing things, but it's like, mum, you can't say that now. You cannot say that. And th that also came into the lyric of Perception of Johnny Punter, the opening salvo on Perception of Johnny Punter, right? So um, I watch America and I pray. It's, you know, the peaceful protest is beautiful to watch and wonderful to watch. The responses are sometimes too ugly to watch and all I'll say is somebody needs to take control of the situation. There is an opportunity here to make massive changes, to deliver messages, to change, to readjust. In very much the same way as with this lockdown, we've got a chance to readjust and change what is normal, right? And I think that has to happen as well. And it's not just America, it needs to happen everywhere. You know, the change in realisation and respect, you know. So, as I said, I'll leave it at that. I don't want to preach. I've gone to an edge there. I'm sorry if I've offended anybody, but my thoughts, okay? Okay. It's 20 past. I'm going to play you the track now. This is Walking on Eggshells. Uh... This has turned into one of my, my favourites. I've, I've played it before. This is pretty much the, the, the finished version of it all. But uh, it's, at the moment, it's, it's right up there with me. It's, it's the, the, the song. When you hear it, what, what Callum has actually done to it, I mean, it's just a beautiful wall that just envelops you. So, Fox Hall, play the track, play the track. Done it again. I've done it again, I've lost the remote. Oh. 
upon is it with remotes? Do, do they have this inner thing that just makes them hide from you at the God-given moment when you really need them? Where are Walking on eggshells.
favorites on the album I have a number Rose is still way up there Sea Song which I, I, I thought was going to be it was kind of listed as a kind of a, a, like that way back when we started writing it's like it might be a bonus track you know and that's just came on leaps and, and bounds Craig Blondell as you can hear did um, and a fantastic job with the, the drums on this as well and uh there was a track when we, were, we put together the set list for the gig, <laughs> the 2020 gig. It was, uh, I thought we'll leave that one out just now, but I can see that. I think there'll be a demand for that, for that to come in. Again, because the album's going to be out before the, the whatever tour, whenever the tour happens. I still don't know whether October, November is going to happen. The longer I'm not hearing anything, the more I'm expecting it to be a big no-no. Um, so, but Lock and Eggshells, the album is moving on. I'm really, I'm just so happy with it all. So happy with it. 
Um, it's half past. It's, uh, oh, by the way, I'm sorry if, if I upset anybody. I didn't really, I wasn't following the feed after kind of what I was on about. If I was in a situation where there was like two or three people and we could sit here and have an argument, people with different opinions from me, and we could have, not an argument, but a discussion. You know, I'm Scottish, I take my have a discussion, I tend to raise my voice. My daughter hates it. You're shouting down. I'm not shouting, I'm just talking normal. And, um, but yeah, if there was two or three people here and we could have a discussion about this, then that would be great. But I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to be dictat to you. And, but as I said, you know, what's happening across the States, you, you just can't ignore. You know, we need to learn lessons. And, um, Change, you know, we have an opportunity to change. Let's change. Okay. A lot of you have been asking about the menu for tonight. Somebody actually said, right, do you actually cook, right? And I shall get the person in to tell you about that, right? Darling, yeah. it's that time of the night. It's that time. It's that time. Please welcome Samura. Um, What's for dinner tonight, darling? The word I don't like to speak out loud. What? Wraps. Wraps. <laughs> We're having wraps tonight. It's tortilla wraps with chicken and loads of stuff. So much salad from the garden. And right. Liam's making them. And Liam's making them. Brilliant. Darling, 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 darling. There was a question that was asked that I think you have to ask this. It's like, do I actually cook or do you do all the cooking? Right? Well... So I will say, Simona does most of the cooking, not through me being sort of I like... I just wanted to answer. Yeah, I so. do most of the cooking, but uh, through choice. I love cooking and I have more time doing all these things. Derek is so busy and so he appreciates me cooking. But when he cooks, he's a brilliant cook and I love, love his meals. I introduced Simona and her family to mince and tatties and Durlach years ago when we first met. Got to make this for the kids, made mince and tatties. They're great. But yes, yeah, but Simona's a brilliant cook. She's absolutely genius. Genius. And when I get my time in there, yeah, I love cooking. I love when I'm on tour. When I come back off a tour, I really want to get into the kitchen. And and there's times when there's when we do big meals, where if we've got lots of people around and things, then we'll share what happens out there. We we do share domestics, although as someone said, I tend to get so tied up with stuff. It's like, but I do actually cook and I do work around the house as well. You know? Apart from tech, I don't do tech. Tech we get people in for. Um, oh. I've got to do. I've got to do the joke. I've got a better joke than the, the B joke last time. A lot better than the B joke. Right. I'll do that at the end. Was it John Watson? Hope there will be the Zember gigs. John Watson. I hope there will be the Zember gigs too. I had Steve on the phone. Steve Vances. I was talking to. He's going through terrible hassle at the moment because his neighbours decided to build an extension, and his entire drive is full of Tonka trucks, and he's trying to like. Let's do mixes while there's all this building work going about. Steve, feel for you, bro. Feel for you. Um, yeah, so Steve's put together the, the live stuff um, because we recorded uh, the shows. Yes, there will be a Clutching at Straws live release at some point. 
<coughs> at the moment, we're just so bogged down in Weltschmerz. It's all the stuff I told you last week. It's all the things, bringing it together, making sure all the ends are tied up. And, and like I said, the, the Blu-ray is going to have uh, material, live material from uh, the 18 shows, the, the, the clutching tour, including... Uh, We've got a version of Little Man, what now, that Dave Jackson, who is beautiful man, great player, great sax player, great horn player, beautiful geezer. And he said, he came along to uh, to Norwich and uh, when we played the uni down there and performed Little Man, what now, as he did on the, the Velchmats album, Little Man, what now, by the way, the Callum Malcolm remix of Little Man now is just amazing. It's just amazing. And, um, Anyway, Dave Jackson came along and played it, so the, the live version that's going to be on the Blu-ray will be the, the version from Norwich that's got Dave playing sax was live on the stage, the only time he's ever come up. But I hope it won't be the last. Yeah. So, Max, Max, Simona, yes. Sky Jordan Wood, wraps are great, brilliant. Oh, great, because we've got vegetarian wraps for Liam, and then we can have add ch chicken, chicken. Uh, that time of the night tune, yeah. Oh, every, I told you before, I told you last week, it's like, you know, the end of the vinyl side, side one, side two, side three, side four, they've all got songs that are epic enders of every side of that album. Every, every song is a major song at the end of every vinyl side and every starter and middle song, like, oh, it, it just works. I'm just, I am so desperate for you to hear this album. Seriously, seriously. And I'm like, Tusti Martini says hello, darling. Deborah Tom says hello, darling. Not listening. Just one song live now. I can't do live. I don't play any instruments. All my musicians are scattered to the winds. They're like flights and trains away. It's impossible to do. You're stuck with me. So it's... Um, I would love to, I mean, but the other thing is, it's like I mean, number one, I've been seeing these things about uh, driving gigs. I ain't doing them. I'm not playing the cars, right? It's like, oh, no, no, driving gigs just sounds wrong, wrong, wrong. And um, and the other thing is, it's like even if I could get the band here, to, it would be filming a rehearsal, and it would be kind of, you know, I need an audience to feed off. You know, I mean, even when we did the the, the Fishheads Club. Uh, set here for the video when we actually filmed it on one of the DVDs the sound DVD the Fishhead session here I had to get people in so that we could feed off them and get some sort of energy and it worked really well you know playing just uh, yourself in a room or playing just to other musicians you never get that adrenaline you never get that vibe you never get the you've got to project out, you know, and the thing when you're working in a room, you can't project, and even when you're working on a camera, one-to-one -one it's easy, but like, you know, when you're working as a band, it's very difficult to get that live projection, so it ain't gonna be happening. Rick Meadows, greetings from Liverpool. Michael Hardy, great song, thank you. Julian Stevens. <laughs> Philip Garber, how did you and someone to meet? That's another story. Sean Gilvey, hey dude, just learned all the chords and solos to Blind Curve and others if you're ever stuck for a 35-year-old guitarist. <laughs> Got a wardrobe full of them, mate. Wardrobe full of them. Keep them under the sink. <laughs> yeah. Hey, impeachment, you got the Zappa B joke. Yeah, you got it. It's a real muso joke. I'll be always a fuck him. 
What kind of fish do you like, fish? Darius Stefanski. I really like salmon. I, I love sea trout. My wife and I love sea trout. It's, uh, yeah, that's really cool. I love sushi. I love um, uh, sushi. was something I discovered in, in the kind of mid-80s. In fact, I think the first sushi, one of the first sushi restaurants I was in was in Berlin on the, when we were recording Miss Place Sheldon. It was called the Daitokai. And it was in the, what was it, the Irish Centre um, in Berlin. That's another story. <laughs> Actually, somebody sent me through some, <clears throat> some uh, I'll, I'll post one up on Facebook later on. But somebody sent me through a, a link to a Facebook page. And there's a bunch of photographs of um, um, Freddie Mercury's birthday party in Berlin in, in 86 that I was at. And uh, it's a photograph of me and Brian May with this dancer and stuff. It's not with the dancer, but at a table that a dancer was upon, dancing for us and the entourage. It was a pretty wild night, not as wild as you might think it was going to get, but there were dancing dwarfs and there was a lot of drugs there and there was a lot of crazy behaviour going on. And I'm sure when I retired with Spike Edney to a nearby transvestite bar and the rest retired with Freddie, I'm sure there was lots of even more great and wonderful stories that you will never hear about because I am unaware of. But the Queen thing, I'll leave it because we're now getting up to, to 22. There's loads of them. It's like, we can keep this going. I, I mean, I, this, is, this Fish and Friday thing is just going to carry on. It's just going to carry on and carry on and carry on until the album comes out. So, uh, and if it means if we're still, if we've got no touring going up to Christmas, then we'll carry on to Christmas. Which means, that I, I, with the t-shirt I want to get made for Fish and Friday, I want to put a tour date, two dates on the back, right? So it's like the tour, the tour. Lemon tree and then living room, right? Uh, <laughs> hey Fish, from Mark Buchanan. Hey Fish, question for Friday night. Did you find it difficult writing the follow-up to the debut with Marillion and your solo career as many other high-profile bands have said in the past? Yes. They call it the difficult second album. It's always the difficult second album. And it's, it's a true, it's a very true thing. It's, um, the thing is, like, you know, with, with the Marillos, right, when we were together, I mean, I joined the band in January 81, by the time we signed to EMI in, uh, in what was it, September 82, or whatever it was, it was uh, all that material, apart from, from script, really, We'd been playing it forever. We'd been playing it in gigs, so we'd honed it. We knew all the we knew all the ins and outs of it, and you know, and it had been written over a, a period of the time. You know, when you go into the second album, it's suddenly when you're signed to like a a, a label. The big dream is signing to the label. It was uh, you're suddenly like, okay, well, there's your first, your first album's gone. So where's the second album? And then you've got to all look at each other and sit in rooms and put together a bunch of brand new songs. And uh, it's always hard to do because you're, you know, starting with, with a, a new blackboard is, is, is very difficult with, with that second album. With Internal Exile, I had a double whammy on my hands because not only was I following up Vigil, but I'd also moved record companies. and. And I'd gone through that entire litigation process with EMI Records and dealing with the litigation process with my former band. And so 
my head was kind of had gone through a blender, right? And writing those songs was, was really, it was a very tough job writing those songs because I didn't have a specific direction in the same way as that difficult second album with Marillion, the Fugazi album, which did come through, but didn't Fugazi for all the history and for all the kind of, the nostalgia. Fugazi didn't take a big leap above script by any stretch of the imagination. Fugazi basically sold pretty much the same as a script, right? So it wasn't as if it was another rung up. And with Internal Exile, I was in that position where, you know, I was coming out of the maelstrom of litigation and everything else. And uh, Anna pregnant wife at the time, Tara was, was on her way as well. And uh, so it was, it was a very crazy time to be trying to write and keep yourself together and keep yourself focused in one particular kind of area where you were going to amass a collection of songs, which is why Internal Exile, I think that was why I called it, you know, a collection of boys' own stories because all the songs were very different, you know, from Just Good Friends to Tongues to Shadow Play to Dear Friend uh, to Cradle, you know. And the thing is, all the songs, right, or most of the songs have all become live favourites. But as, as an album, it was never really seen as being a great... As an album, it was seen as a down, a, a, a downturn from Vigil. And, um, and the euphoria of, you know, being ex-Marillion, you know, which was allowable then, because it was still fresh. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was a tough... So that second album, Syndrome, does work. And Internal was very difficult to put together. Um, but I still love all the songs in it. I mean, uh, there's some... John Arneson, who was still the Marillion, who remained the Marillion manager for years after I left, he actually said when he heard Credo, that would have made a brilliant Marillion song. So uh, it was, that was I took on as an accolade, but um, so be it. It's two minutes to quarter two, right? Sonia Brooke, have you ever been guddling? I've tried guddling and I'm useless at it. Uh, guddling is the art of putting your hand down the side of a riverbank and imitating, your fingers imitate the reeds. So when a trout comes along, it sits in there and it gets tickled. That's why you call it tickling trout. And basically the fish relaxes in your hand because you're tickling it. And you've got to keep your hand very still and the touch very light. And then when the fish is just about passing out, you whip it out of the water. That's called guggling. And I'm rubbish at it. Rubbish. Right. Oh. oh, I forgot to show you. I found this right, uh, last week. I was going to show you last week. This is the cover that was used. This is the, the, the original that belongs to Tara, my daughter. I gave, I gave this to Tara. This is the original cover for the Outpatients album. Can you see? They'll burn me at the stake. It's like musicians in lockdown. <laughs> this was the cover of an album in 1993, the very first release of Dick Brothers. And it's, it's musician behind bars with two suits, with keys. Right. Maybe I should re-release the T-shirt again. The lockdown shirt. Okay. Right. Here we go. The joke. A wee bit of Erdinger before we go. 
So guy walks in a circus tent and he goes up to the ringmaster and uh, he says to the ringmaster, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a gig, looking for a job here. Ringmaster says, well, you know, we're looking for acts, what do you do? He says, uh, I'm the only guy in the world that could be hit in the face with a 24 pound sledgehammer and live to tell the tale. And the ringmaster's going, nah, that's stupid. That's absolutely stupid. He says, no, I can do it. He said, that's what I do. He said, they'll love it. And the ringmaster said, no. Nah. He said, it's a wee bit extreme. He said, uh, but you know what? He said, you know, you seem like somebody that's honest and desperate. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you have a wee go. And, and later that night, the circus is on the go. There go the elephants, there go the dancing ponies, there go the crocodiles, blah, blah, blah. Please welcome on stage the only man in the world who could take a 24 pound sledgehammer straight in the face and live to tell the tale. Crowd's going, yes, here we go. Out walks this wee guy in the leotard. Oh, here we go. And he walks out, takes his bows, and out comes this massive monolith of a man, also in a leotard, with carrying the 24 pound sledgehammer. Right? And the guy's sitting there, chin out. Right? There we go. The guy, big monolith, fills his hammer around. The only man in the world capable of taking a 24 pound sledgehammer. Straight to face and lives to tell the tale. Round the hammer. Boof! Right in the face. Absolutely. And it's obviously it's all gone horribly wrong, right? The guy's on the deck, there's blood everywhere, and it's like, you know, oh, everybody's just, there's blankets getting thrown on, the people are screaming, kids are getting sheltered. Like, I mean, it's mental, right? All right, sorry, the curtains come down. That guy's away at the hospital, and the right master's going, oh my God, right? And uh, the guy's in the hospital and he's in a in, he's in a, 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 a coma, right? And you know every every kind of day ringmaster while well, he's in the in the town he goes in to see him in the hospital and he's still lying there with the tubes in and barely breathing. Deep, deep, deep. Circus comes back, you know, and six months later and he goes in. The guy's still in the hospital, and there's a wee girl by the bedside like going like, oh no, and the nurses are going, oh, this is terrible, right? And another year goes by. And the ringmaster of the circus comes back into the town and he gets a message saying that there's signs of life coming from this guy in the hospital, right? The guy who's the only person in the world that could take the 24-pound sledgehammer straight in the face and live to tell the tale. And they all go into the hospital and goes, and the nurse goes, I think he's coming around. I think he's coming around. And they're all around the bedside, right? He's breathing, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the little guy's nose twitches and his eyes open and he goes, Ta-da! <laughs> there you go. See, I can't hear the laughter or the booze or anything. It's just kind of like this is. It's like when I when I feel watching these comics doing these American comics doing the, the shows where the audience like uh, so, the only man. So there you are. That's the joke for tonight. It's approaching ten two. We're now in uh, encore time. Until another week goes down. It's raining outside. It's going to be hellishly windy. This weekend, this is the this is the weather report. Hellishly windy, right? hellishly windy, and off we blowy, and it's gonna be absolutely pushing down. So uh, there goes the mowing. Um, but uh, I've got lots to do. I've still got, I've got to sit down and get this three thousand words of sleeve notes written up, and then get the thank you list for the album together. Get the list of musicians, and I've, I need to get this done. So when the rain is down, the garden is closed, and moi goes through to the control room and I get set up.
so it's another week in lockdown. It freaks me out just how quickly these weeks go by. I mean, I was sitting there two days ago going, oh, it's uh, Fish and Friday coming up. And I'm going, oh, and then, oh, oh. And they just come, they just come so fast, you know? And uh, I, I was shocked to me when, when I got the, 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 the Erdinger today. It was like, you know, like you know, the 10 weeks, 10 weeks. But we will keep it going, all right? You know, I'm, it's still locked down. We've still got a garden. We've still got a house. I've still got lots and lots of things to do. I've got Garden of Remembrance to start pushing together because that is going to be released end of June, first week of July, it looks like now. Um, so that's getting set up. And there's so much. And we've got, there's a lot to do in the house. And as I said, the mail order will be open on Monday. Right, we've got the last tweaks and changes. I know it's become a running joke. It's been hellish for us, believe me, dealing with this. But it's going to happen. Be patient when it does happen. Please be patient. And a little bit of understanding would be sincerely appreciated, especially by my hard-working wife who deals with it all. And so, until then, um, next week, next Friday, just look after yourselves. I hope you enjoyed it today. Uh, it's fun, always fun. I always have fun doing these things. Um, and thanks again to everybody who sent Simona the iceberg alcohol-free wine and who sent me 96 bottles of everything else. It was just... <laughs> yeah, thank you. It's a lot of alcohol-free beer. So until next week, next Friday at 6 o'clock, British Standard Time, I will, you will catch me then, I won't catch you, you will catch me and I can read you on this kind of stuff, the, the, the fast evolving timeline. Take care, stay alive, stay sane, abide by the rules, keep the distance and do what everybody is saying and telling you to do and we'll kind of keep on moving and hopefully things will start relaxing in the next week, two weeks. Um, Someone is okay, Liam's okay, my mum's okay, I'm fine. I miss being out there, but so do we all, okay? Watch after yourselves, be safe.